Section four of Married Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Esther. Married Love by Marie Stoops. Section four, chapter two. The Broken Joy. What shall be done to quiet the heart cry of the world? How answer the dumb appeal for help we so often divine below eyes that laugh? A.E. in The Hero in Man Dreaming of happiness, feeling that at last they have each found the one who will give eternal understanding and tenderness, the young man and maiden marry. Note In this, and in most of the generalizations found in this book, I am speaking of things as they are in Great Britain while to a considerable extent the same is true of America and the Scandinavian countries, it must be remembered all through that I am speaking of the British and primarily of our educated classes. At first, in the time generally called the honeymoon, the unaccustomed freedom and the sweetness of the relationship often does bring real happiness. How long does it last? Too often a far shorter time than is generally acknowledged. In the first joy of their union it is hidden from the two young people that they know little or nothing about the fundamental laws of each other's being. Much of the sex attraction, not only among human beings but even throughout the whole world of living creatures, depends upon the differences between the two that pair, and probably taking them all unawares, those very differences which drew them together now begin to work their undoing. But so long as the first illusion that each understands the other is supported by the thrilling delights of ever-fresh discoveries, the sensations lived through are so rapid and so joyous that the lovers do not realize that there is no firm foundation of real mutual knowledge beneath their feet. While even the happiest pair may know of divergencies about religion, politics, social custom, and opinions on things in general, these, with good will, patience, and intelligence on either side, can be ultimately adjusted, because in all such things there is a common meeting ground for the two. Human beings, while differing widely about every conceivable subject in human relations, have at least thought about them, threshed them out, and discussed them openly for generations. But about the much more fundamental and vital problems of sex, there is a lack of knowledge so abysmal and so universal that its mists and shadowy darkness have affected even the few who lead us, and who are prosecuting research in these subjects. And the two young people begin to suffer from fundamental divergencies before perhaps they realize that such exist, and with little prospect of ever gaining a rational explanation of them. Nearly all those whose own happiness seems to be dimmed or broken count themselves exceptions and comfort themselves with the thought of some of their friends who they feel sure have attained the happiness which they themselves have missed. It is generally supposed that happy people like happy nations have no history. They are silent about their own affairs. Those who talk about their marriage are generally those who have missed the happiness they expected. True as this may be, in general, it is not permanently and profoundly true, and there are people who are reckoned, and still reckon themselves, happy, but who yet unawares reveal the secret disappointment which clouds their inward peace. Leaving out of account, femme incomprises, 
and all the innumerable neurotic, supersensitive, and slightly abnormal people, it still remains an astonishing and tragic fact that so large a population of marriages lose their early bloom and are to some extent unhappy. For years many men and women have confided to me the secrets of their lives, and of all the innumerable marriages of which the inner circumstances are known to me, there are tragically few which approach even humanly attainable joy. Many of those considered by the world, by the relatives, even by the loved and loving partner, to be perfectly happy marriages, are secretly shadowed to the more sensitive of the pair. Where the bride is, as are so many of our educated girls, composed of virgin sweetness, shut in ignorance, the man is often the first to create the rift within the lute. But his suffering begins almost simultaneously with hers. The surface freedom of our women has not materially altered, cannot materially alter, the pristine purity of a girl of our northern race. She generally has not even the capacity to imagine the basic facts of physical marriage, and her bridegroom may shock her without knowing that he was doing so. Then, unconscious of the nature, and even perhaps of the existence of his fault, he is bewildered and pained by her inarticulate pain. Yet I think, nevertheless, it is true that in the early days of marriage the young man is often even more sensitive, more romantic, more easily pained about all ordinary things and he enters marriage hoping for an even higher degree of spiritual and bodily unity than does the girl or the woman. But the man is more quickly blunted, more swiftly rendered cynical, and is readier to look upon happiness as a utopian dream than is his mate. On the other hand, the woman is slower to realize disappointment, and more often, by the sex life of marriage, is of the two the more profoundly wounded, with a slow corrosive wound that eats into her very being. Perfect happiness is a unity composed of a myriad essences, and this one supreme thing is exposed to the attacks of countless destructive factors. Were I to touch upon all the possible sources of marital disappointment and unhappiness, this book would expand into a dozen bulky volumes. As I am addressing those who I assume have read or can read other books written upon various ramifications of the subject, I will not discuss the themes which have been handled by many writers, nor deal with abnormalities which fill so large a part of most books on sex. In the last few years there has been such an awakening to the realization of the corrosive horror of all aspects of prostitution that there is no need to labor the point that no marriage can be happy where the husband has, in buying another body, sold his own health with his honor, and is tainted with disease. Nor is it necessary, in speaking to well-meaning, optimistic young couples, to enlarge upon the obvious dangers of drunkenness, self-indulgence, and the cruder forms of selfishness. It is with the subtler infringements of the fundamental laws we have to deal, and the prime tragedy is that, as a rule, the two young people are both unaware of the existence of such decrees. Yet here, as elsewhere in nature, the lawbreaker is punished, whether he is aware of the existence of the law he breaks or not. In the state of ignorance, which so largely predominates today, the first sign that things are amiss between the two, who thought they were entering paradise together, is generally a sense of loneliness, 
a feeling that the one who is expected to have all in common is outside some experience and some subtle delight and fails to understand the needs of the loved one. Trivialities are often the first indicators of something which takes its roots unseen in the profoundest depths. The girl may sob for hours over something so trifling that she cannot even put into words its nature, while the young man, thinking that he had set out with his soul's beloved upon an adventure into celestial distances, may find himself, apparently, up against a barrier in her which appears as incomprehensible as it is frivolous. Then, so strange is the mystical interrelation between our bodies, our minds, and our souls, that for crimes committed in ignorance of the dual functions of the married pair, and the laws which harmonize them, the punishments are reaped on planes quite diverse, till new and ever new misunderstandings appear to spring spontaneously from the soil of their mutual contact. Gradually or swiftly, each heart begins to hide a sense of boundless isolation. It may be urged that this statement is too sweeping. It is, however, based on innumerable actual lives. I have heard from women whose marriages are looked upon by all as the happiest possible expressions of human felicity. The details of secret pain of which they have allowed their husbands no inkling. Many men will know how they have hidden from their beloved wives a sense of dull disappointment, perhaps at her coldness in the marital embrace, or from the sense that there is in her something elusive which always evades their grasp. This profound sense of misunderstanding finds readier expression in the cruder and more ordinary natures. The disappointment of the married is expressed not only in innumerable books and plays, but even in comic papers and all our daily gossip. Now that so many movements are abroad, folks on all sides are emboldened to express the opinion that it is marriage itself which is at fault. Many think that merely by loosening the bonds and making it possible to start afresh with someone else, their lives would be made harmonious and happy. But often such reformers forget that he or she knows nothing of the way to make marriage great and beautiful with one partner. It is not likely to succeed with another. Only by a reverent study of the art of love can the beauty of its expression be realized in linked lives. And even when once learnt, the art of love takes time to practice. As Ellen Key says, quote, Love requires peace, love will dream, it cannot live upon remnants of our time and our personality. End quote. There is no doubt that love loses, in the haste and bustle of the modern turmoil, not only its charm and graces, but some of its vital essence. The evil results of the haste which so infests and poisons us are often felt much more by the woman than by the man. The overstimulation of city life tends to speed up the man's reactions but to retard hers. To make matters worse, even for those who have leisure to spend on love-making, the opportunities for peaceful, romantic dalliance are less today in a city with its tubes and cinema shows than in the woods and gardens where the pulling of the rosemary or lavender may be the sweet excuse for the slow and profound mutual rousing of passion. Now physical passion, so swiftly stimulated in men, tends to override all else, and the untutored man seeks but one thing, the accomplishment of desire. The woman, 
for it is in her nature so to do, forgives the crudeness, but sooner or later her love revolts, probably in secret, and then forever after, though she may command an outward tenderness, she has nothing within but scorn and loathing for the act which should have been a perpetually recurring entrancement. End note. So many people are now born and bred in artificial and false surroundings that even the elementary fact that the acts of love should be joyous is unknown to them. A distinguished American doctor made this amazing statement, quote, I do not believe mutual pleasure in the sexual act has any particular bearing on the happiness of life. American Medical Association, Rep. 1900 This is, perhaps, an extreme case, yet so many distinguished medical men, gynecologists and physiologists, are either in ignorance or error regarding some of the profoundest facts of human sex life, that it is not surprising that ordinary young couples, however hopeful, should break and destroy the joy that might have been their lifelong crown. End of section 4